Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott here to do a uh, instant reaction podcast and a instant reaction podcast to the uh, reality that Willie Taggart has been fired effective immediately and uh, Florida State uh, will begin its search for a new football coach. So, Bud, um, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana Hot Sauce, fantastic sponsor for us, uh, gives us the flexibility uh, to do kind of immediate reaction type podcast, emergency podcast, if you want to use that phrase. And uh, they're just great support and uh, we acknowledge them as always. And with that, we jump straight into it. Let's get into it, man. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with the uh, the why now. We're going to discuss why now. Is it a good decision? Uh, you know, kind of where it went wrong. The erosion of support, commitment to football, characteristics of the next coach uh, that's going to be needed. So let's go ahead and, uh, and get into this. Why now? Um, okay, so there's there's a lot, lot to talk about here. Uh, I think the first thing that you have to talk about is that uh, – Recently, uh, within the last month, some of the internal kind of modeling as to tickets sold for 2020, um, all of the compounding impacts that that has on the Tallahassee economy and uh, the money to be made from the program and how many different things rely on the money to be made from this program, uh, that those models started to show a forecast that was a begin to kind of change the paradigm of the cost of keeping him versus the cost of uh, addressing this buyout and look at what kind of chunks you could make over a four-year period of time uh, to a financial commitment that nobody wanted to make. I think it makes a lot of sense, man. I mean, eventually the cost of keeping him just gets so prohibitive. Uh, I know from talking to our sources, I don't know how you say this, right? Basically, I don't think, and we said this a couple weeks ago, there's a lot of people who would like to fire Willie Taggart, but a lot of people who do not want to have to fire Willie Taggart. Is that, I think that's the best way to phrase that. And I, I think that that was, that was still very true. Unfortunately, this, uh, you know, this most recent game obviously uh, helped to bring that really in, into the, into the forefront of the discussion. Um, you know, I, I think you're right about, about their projection model showing that, that, that seems to make, the most sense here and obviously like when you the, I, I think that that the miami game went down in the way it did i mean that's why i said on, on the pod we were texting before the pod that i recorded last night in the instant reactions like look, this is the kind of loss that gets people to open their wallets and this is like don't you think this is the kind of loss too that, that changes models it absolutely does i mean when you look across the sideline and you see a, a first year coach uh who's uh, not, maybe not, maybe barely better than you. Certainly not 17 points better than you, but come into uh, Doe Campbell and win. Um, it's just a pill, tough pill to swallow, but ultimately after a result like that, it's one that uh, the program decided to. Uh, I think there was, you know, we'll get to a couple different periods of time that we think were significant uh, in the erosion of support, but uh, I think the table was really set with uh, some of the frustrations tied to the Wake Forest game. Syracuse did nothing uh, to alleviate anybody's concerns. And when you came out uh, looking the way that you did yesterday and looking uh, just every bit of the greatest hits of ineptitude of 2018 uh, to be shown in the first quarter uh, of of your offensive play, it just was really kind of a, a straw that uh, – that broke everybody's back and it was a, a frustrating situation and one that was deemed uh, you could no longer really entertain moving forward with 
I, I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, I think that also combines with some questions that administrators and kind of the power players had talking to people within the program about uh, some of the issues with organization within the program and kind of the overall operations, as I think you put it on a recent show, uh, that were not going smoothly and just errors were being made in terms of managerial, uh, both during game day, but also during the week that probably shouldn't happen. You know, not, not having uh, paperwork ready to go when, when recruit visits or uh, just, just a general disorganization is, is kind of the word that you would get when you ask for somebody, okay, like what, what do you really, you know, not like other than the obvious on field uh, issues. I think that's a, that that's a real big one. And then some people questioning, you know, the hours worked by some members of the staff, I think, right. Which ultimately comes back on the head coach, including the head coach are, are things that we've been hearing that, Hey, like, are these guys putting in the right amount of time that they need to, uh, in, in order to get things done. And so I, I think the general, like Willie Taggart managing his staff and managing the program, uh, combined with the play on the field, it's sort of a, uh, there's a feedback loop there that's not necessarily wrong, but it's like, hmm, I'm hearing these things about this going on inside the program, and then this is what it looks like on game day. I'm going to assume that these things I'm hearing going on inside the program are what's actually going on inside the program. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, it was just another kind of uh, a pillar of questioning uh, that began to build up. And, you know, the work ethic one's tricky, but when you start to have – People within that athletic department um, question what's what you're there versus their expectation out of a football coach is uh, not one that you compare with the recent performance and your general record, and that's a that's a that's just a tough thing to have associated with a, a head football coach at this level. Um, and I kind of alluded to this a second ago with the importance that at least I personally place around the weight game. Uh, and that was – there were other frustrations, I think, at times uh, with maybe some of the involvement that uh, Willie Taggart had uh, in the play calling. The Wake Forest game was a, a real definitive um, situation from a lot of people's point of view. And that was that uh, you started to have a – like a CEO coach who was being um, being his own worst enemy – and you can't give a CEO coach a two-comma coordinator and then not let him uh, do what it is that you brought him in to do. And I think the longstanding plan uh, was to pair uh, better talent, uh, coaching talent on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, some of that was expedited by uh, bringing in Levitt midseason. But uh, if you're going to have a coach that meddles with the hires and you're going to have a coach that uh, – doesn't embrace the CEO role that you kind of talked about with him, then um, your options moving forward become uh, all the more kind of narrow. And it's, it's uh, it makes those that are tasked with giving you the tools to succeed uh, begin to become more cautious about doing so. Exactly. And if you, if you no longer believe in the guy, uh, then it is time to make a change, you know? And so they did, I think, especially, Especially concerning, like you said, obviously the meddling was was an issue. We we, we know that that uh, just from talking to people who know Willie, they say he, he struggles with not being a play caller 
we commented on this a little bit in the offseason, and I, I think we kind of brushed it off, right? Because I thought he had learned from going to Oregon, you know, and having Cristobal and Arroyo and, and Levitt and trying to be more of the CEO. Uh, and it would make sense last year that, that he called the plays. It was really more his offense and, and along with, with Walt Bell and, and not a very good mesh of offense, clearly. But, you know, I had some people tell me, like, you know, Willie really does struggle not being the play caller. Like, he wants to be the play caller. And uh, that's not what they wanted him – that's not what his employers wanted him to do, right? Like, we know that Booster's ponied up to get yourself a million-dollar coordinator, like you said. And I know they got feedback from guys on the office of staff that, hey, this is not uh, – what's supposed to be happening is not happening here. And those Boosters didn't like that. And that's – uh that's good. They got that feedback, obviously, but it's not uh, it's not good overall that it was happening. You know, I yeah, I am a little bit surprised that, that that happened to that extent. But this summer, he you know he he kind of made the like it's still my offense comment, and I know a lot of people you know kind of bristled at that a little bit as thinking not so much as like a hey, he's going to meddle and call these plays, but rather. It was just unnecessary to say that, you know what I mean? Just be excited and, and, and happy that you have Kendall there and you already have a pretty great job security unless you royally screw up because you have a nice contract that was absolutely market value and not like unjustified considering you had to go hire him away from a program like Oregon and you were fighting Ole Miss and a couple other schools too looking at him. Uh, but yeah, I think that was, that was certainly um, one of the tipping points there. Lack of progress in areas that are completely under your control, right? Being organized is something that is is under your control. Penalties are largely under your control. Having enough people on punt team and special teams errors and alignment issues are largely under your control. And while those had improved, certainly, compared to last year, I mean, I'm not going to deny that, uh, they were not improved, in my opinion, enough to show real progress in some of those areas. And you combine that with a uh, largely inexcusable defensive backslide uh, that is not, I don't think, aligns with the talent you have on defense, right? Like the defense should be playing better than it is. The offense, I feel like, is pretty close to maximizing what it can be with this group considering what the offensive line is. But the defense should not be rated. I mean, I don't know where they're rated now. Like they weren't. They weren't that bad against Miami. I'm trying to pull it up here now just to make sure I'm accurate on this. But pretty sure the defense is still outside the top top 50 nationally, and there's really no excuse for that at a place like Florida State when you can get that sort of uh, you know, that, that, that sort of, uh, of, of talent level. So um, definitely something there that is, uh, is, is a major concern. It's just uh... – it's just really, really frustrating uh, that you never really saw the progress. You never really saw something that you felt you, uh, a coach, had found his footing. You never really had a moment where you left a stadium. I mean, maybe for some it was Boston College last year, but uh, I would tell you that you never had a real moment where you left the stadium and you thought, that's it. That's going to be the time where you look back and you say, you know, uh, Trains got on track, and that's kind of the uh, the pivotal moment where uh, Taggart's going to build from there. So uh, just very frustrating in general. And 
why now? If you're going to do it, you had to do it either last Monday or you had to do it. Uh, I guess you wouldn't have done it last year, Monday after Syracuse. Excuse me. You would have to do it last Monday, the Monday following Wake Forest, uh, if I can start to speak again. Uh, or you had to do it uh, either today or immediately tomorrow morning. Uh, so there was a very small window here. The whole dynamics of this process have changed dramatically uh, with the introduction of the early signing period. And make no mistakes, Florida State's recruiting is going to suffer uh, by the fact that they're going to have to go through this process uh, again. But uh, at least doing it at this point gives you a opportunity to suffer uh, the least amount and have as good of a chance to uh, have a solid initial signing day as possible. Absolutely. Um you also have to keep in mind here for the new coach that you now have two short short season classes in the span of three years. That's going to make this rebuild uh, tougher than, um, than I think some people think on the outside because your, your short season classes are typically pretty poor. But I agree. If you can get somebody in here faster, uh, then that definitely, definitely would be a, a, a benefit and perhaps you could mitigate some of the uh, negative uh, things associated with having an early signing period. You know, Ingram, the, the choice of a lawyer is a really important choice to make. It should be an informed choice. You should do your research on it. And it can be a stressful choice, especially if you're going through a divorce. Maybe you're having issues dividing property. Maybe disputes over child support or visitation. Alimony questions. Problems enforcing the term of, of an already existing order. We know somebody who's an expert in the field, Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. He's somebody you can trust. 850 850- 435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. Travis is the guy to go to. He's one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 attorneys. So pretty small slice of the pie there who are actually board-certified in family law. Over a decade of experience, he also has teaching experience. He's an expert in, in this field. Travis Johnson, if you need a good family law attorney, somebody you can trust, Go to bat for you. Eight five zero four three five ninety nine nineteen. Are you uh, are, are you surprised they made the move now? Uh, I'm not surprised uh, that like the events of today transpired. Um, I'm not surprised. You know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, it seemed that uh, the preparations had begun to to make a move that otherwise hadn't really been something that they had expected to do or wanted to do. Am I surprised over the? From a macro perspective, that this hire was the spectacular failure that it was, yeah, I'm very, very surprised. Uh, I'm shocked that I think at the end of the day, Florida State will have outlaid $21.9 million to Willie Taggart to not coach football between what they will pay him directly, what they paid Oregon, and a small amount of money that they paid to USF uh, tied to his, his existing buyout at Oregon. It's just been an incredible uh, miss overall, and uh, that's something that the program's going to have to deal with, and it's uh, just a shocker that it's been this much of a failure. I totally agree with those thoughts. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty surprised that he was fired, if you could look back like preseason, but at the same time, if you had told me after the weight game, hey, they're going to lose by 17 and home to Miami, I'd be like, oh, yeah, he's going to be done by the next week. You know, if they had lost close in a hard-fought game to Miami, that wasn't the result of uh, just getting dominated and looking really, really sloppy and, and uncoordinated, uh, then 
you know, I, I, I think he's probably still here, actually. And a, a 17 points that, uh, as you pointed out yesterday, uh, possibly was kind in its portrayal of the game. Uh, just uh, an epic uh, showing, uh, epic showing of failure yesterday. If, if they lose 24 to 21 or something, I, I, I don't think he's fired today. I think there's enough people who did not want to have to do that uh, who would not have done it. But 17 points, I think you're looking at and you're saying, man, that is just that's, – that's not going to work. T- team not prepared to play the game. I mean, that that's just as tough an indictment as you can have of a, of a head coach. Uh, yeah, really, so. really poor there. So uh, is it a good decision to fire a coach after just, what, 21 games? That's an answer that uh, is really tough to have right now, obviously. To be able to make a confident assessment on this, it's something that you're going to have to have three, five, ten years of uh, of a look back on, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, it's something that Florida State decided to do. And I a tip of the hat to the people that uh, made the financial investments uh, to make that happen, um, if that's what they deem needed to happen. But make no mistake, I mean, it's a massive, it's a, a massive risk uh, and a massive outlay of resources that are finite. And I know this was raised, a lot of it was raised privately, but that's still, you know, money that you're not going to be able to draw upon people next time you have to pass the hat for whatever it may be. I'm happy that Florida State has the type of support to make a move like this, uh, but I don't really necessarily write off that it's a very significant financial commitment to an institution that has to be as careful with money as uh, pretty much anyone that's out there. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it's that's a huge, huge deal to spend this kind of money. You know, do I think Taggart was going to get it turned around? A lot of my answer to that would honestly depend on if the recruiting class stuck together or not. But I think that we both projected if they were to go six and six, then they would have a lot of departures in terms of decommitments, even if Willie did stick around. And I mean, he would have had to had a really, really nice 2020 year, which is probably not that likely uh, in order to have the turnaround. The counter to that would, of course, be that he did have a pretty good history of turning around programs in year three uh, at, at, at his previous stops, whereas the first two years were not always that good, but I don't know that you can necessarily count on that. Um, and I think the lack of progress in certain areas that don't need a long time to get fixed uh, are certainly uh, concerning. So uh, I think that just kind of the overall situation there was one that added up to a move that you probably had to make. So an interesting quote taken from, uh, I believe this was uh was uh, the president of the of the university, not Coburn, but uh, it was one that had to be made. Um, that's, <laughs> that's that's somewhat tied to what we started uh, with the opening as far as some of the modeling of uh, money, revenue, and overall levels of support. But um, ultimately, I would answer that I think it's a good decision uh, from my immediate perspective because I completely agree with that sentiment. Um, and there reached a point in time where it was just – I don't think it's fair to call uh, Willie Taggart an albatross, but I think people made an opinion that uh, this was not the gentleman to take the program to where they wanted to go and the heights that they wanted to go. And uh, I think if you're going to part ways and you make the decision to do it, 
that you're you're better off doing it as soon as possible. So uh, I I think it's a good idea in the short term, and ultimately, like I said, it's something that uh, we'll need a couple years of uh, of hindsight to know with certainty. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like the the other half of this, you're exactly right. Is who do they go get? How does it work out? You know, I mean, do they have enough money to execute the plan? On the other half, I, my guess is that they do find a way to make that work as far as going out and getting somebody who uh, will, will be a bit of a name. And then we'll talk about that in a minute. I, I don't think you make this move, or at least I hope you don't make this move just as a anybody but Willie type move. If you're making a $17 million outlay to just not have Willie coach without a real good plan of who you can bring in, then, I, then I, I would actually probably shift towards no, right? Just let the guy keep recruiting. Don't have two short season classes in the span of three years, and uh, and try to um, you know try to make it work there for one more year. That that's kind of my opinion on it. So like they, they better have a good plan as to what's to come next. We should probably run down by the way, like kind of where it went wrong and his erosion of support. <laughs> uh yeah yeah we probably should and there's a lot of different options to, to choose from here unfortunately and if uh you think you have a good one that we didn't uh touch on you know what you're probably right uh there probably is uh more kind of points in time for us to touch on than uh, anybody would have hoped for or wanted um i'll start kind of at alpha just uh with leaving oregon uh the staff that he chose to take over uh, from Oregon, this is a little bit as to I'm not sure if it's fully in his control or if it's even uh, fair of me to say, but like I know the process in which he left Oregon um, angered a lot of people, and, and Phil Knight personally kind of looked at the fact that he used either a Nike jet or a Oregon jet uh, or a personal jet of his. They're all kind of intermeshed uh, in the in the story of going on a recruiting visit when really it was to go talk to a potential employer and a a future employer. Um, And I don't know that you would have necessarily gotten some of the other parts of the Oregon staff, but I know in doing that and leaving Oregon in that manner made uh, one of the richer individuals who has a passionate interest in college football um, pretty hell bent on making sure that you weren't going to take any other uh, valuable pieces of your existing staff. So somewhat in that manner, you limited uh, who you were going to have. And uh, just the composition of the initial staff in general is exceptionally poor. Um, you whiffed on both of your coordinator hires. Uh, there's just so many different aspects. You fielded um, what was one of the worst special teams I've ever seen play football last year uh, with a guy that you had to immediately – um, knock off your staff. There's just too much dead weight, too many bad hires, and uh, composition of a staff is one of the things that uh, kind of accelerated a process of failure that nobody thought could have been reached this early. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, the, the inability to get Levitt, I think, as the defensive coordinator, I know that, that Willie and his relationship was, you know, not always perfect, uh, and I know that, that Levitt wanted a lot of money. And Florida State actually did offer a lot of money, but I do think that making Phil Knight, I mean, maybe we won't say exactly just only Phil Knight, but making the Oregon people angry, um, Oregon ponied up a whole lot of money to keep Levitt, right? And it was just sort of like, okay, that's that's kind of a ridiculous amount that we probably shouldn't be paying for DC. Um, 
I think that was a big deal. And, you know, also, I, I think throughout this, there's been some thought that some coaches who had been close with Willie for a long time were actually held to a little bit different standard than other coaches on the staff. And that definitely caused some division at times in the mind of the coaches who are not longtime Willie guys, right? And that was something to me that, that, that stood out when I was talking uh, to, to guys who were on that staff, uh, specifically the ones who were on there last year. You know, for instance, all, like coaches are always like, hey, you know, if you talk to this guy, you're fired, right? Like as far as don't, don't talk to the media and all, all that kind of stuff. But yet, if that standard is not uh, upheld, right, for instance, if maybe a coach looks over and sees another coach in a meeting where the head coach is yelling about don't talk, don't talk to these people, uh, if, if another coach who's been a longtime uh, guy who's kind of seen as untouchable is actually texting another, another uh, recruiting writer, you know, that can be sort of seen as, okay, the rules don't apply to everybody here. Maybe these standards are, are not all the same. Uh, so I think that's definitely something to, uh, uh, to to look back upon with the initial staff as well. You know, some of these guys maybe should have been gotten rid of earlier or maybe not come with them. Although, look, I mean, if, if Willie does a better job managing them, who am I to say that they could not have worked out? But I think the combination of not managing them super well, as well as maybe some of them uh, not being the best hires in hindsight is uh, is – was difficult. I also want to bring this up. I thought he did a really poor job uh, of managing expectations when he when he got here, uh, and especially after after the spring. I understand the introductory press conference. You know, that's something where you can say some stuff and get away with it. I think because you really haven't had a great chance to evaluate the team. Right, you're just hey man, like these are my hopes and dreams. And I think he nailed his his opening press conference. It's specifically the press conferences that he gave after the spring and like in that first booster tour, some of the comments he made both publicly but also privately uh, that I think gave people a lot of concern. And that was the these idea that like Florida State is not a rebuild, that, that it is a, a reload, I think was his exact term there. You know, very concerning there because we knew and we said it at the time, like, man, they're they're only like an injury or two away in the offensive line from a disaster. And they have some issues at linebacker here that are pretty serious. You know, we'll kind of have to, have to see how this works out. And I got to be honest with you, man, like Willie's comments made me reconsider my own position about, about his team, right? Like I was probably more negative about, about the, the 2018 Knowles. And he actually made me raise my expectations for that team a little bit because I thought, all right, no way is this guy going to like say these things if he knows his team really sucks. He's going to soft pedal it. But instead, he he did largely the opposite. So I think that was a, a real misstep. And the problem is when you go out and you play that bad with a team that you've hyped up, it's going to make people believe that you don't know what you're doing, which it's I mean, that's hard to argue with after seeing what they did. But, yeah, that was something that was uh, certainly a, a bit of a concern of mine. And, like, it kind of happened a little bit again this summer. Now, I understand there's some pressure probably to be better, and so 
if you're him, you're probably like, well, I mean, if we're, if we're not better, I'm probably fired anyway. And there's probably some pressure from people above him to say, hey, we're going to be better, like just to sell some tickets, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I think certainly. that was probably a, a real thing. Um, but yeah, man, the, the not managing expectations correctly and then really coming a long way away from the expectations that your own comments set was an issue. And I also think in some ways, and, and I, I have to be careful here because I know the APR limited Willie's ability to churn the roster, uh, and that's not an insignificant thing. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. But I know multiple people talk to him about, hey, like, this kid's a bad kid, right? Like, this kid, I don't think you can trust. This kid, the last staff thought he was a drug dealer, okay? And, of course, questions would be like, well, why didn't the last staff do something about that, right? But that's a conversation for for a different day. Like, I know people told him this stuff, right? Like, you know, Nyquan Murr, you, you can't trust him, right? Like, like, you get in a crucial situation, no, it's not going to happen. Well, it seemed like a lot of that was either ignored or Willie just, I, I understand the clean slate thing, but there's clean slate within the program and not booting kids out, but... I don't think that there's the need to gas all these kids up in the media quite as much as he did at times, um, like with the no turds comment, for instance. I always thought that was kind of a, a silly one on his part when we, in fact, knew there were definitely turds on this team um, and that it was like there were guys who were not good people on, on this football team. So definitely some uh, um, some concerns there that ended up being a problem. I guess I know I'm kind of rambling now, but not paying attention to the, the concerns of uh, of people who were well-intentioned and, and told him. And I know these people who talked to Willie and filled him in. All right, Ingram, uh, I got a call today from one Shannon Young of Resolution Home Loans. You guys know him, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. And he said, hey, bud, I, I was just so excited that I, I wanted to tell you, uh, like, with a phone call as opposed to text because we do text a lot. He said, we're going to have seven closings, I think, in November that are from Nolcast listeners. I was like, ooh, okay, because in my mind, I was like, I think we only had one or two in October. And the Nolcast listener stepped up and said, hey, we want to buy some houses. Let's go ahead and get this thing done. And he anticipates seven uh, new Nolcast homeowners. So congratulations to all those people. I'll learn who you are very soon, assuming you want the T-shirts. Uh, that come with uh, with being a Nolcast uh, mortgage user, and uh, there's no better no better company to go with the Resolution Home Loans, in my opinion. I got my home loan through them; they've been great. And uh, make sure you check them out at four four FSU Loan or FSU Home Loans. Com. Another thing that really sticks out to me, and uh, we'll we'll focus on a position group at the at the quarterbacks, but really it's any kind of tangible. Um, aspect of either progress or optimism um i'm going to reference the quarterback position sam howell's certainly been a name that's uh on the tip of a lot of people's tongue with this uh, fan base and some of the success that he's had at north carolina honestly i would uh i would say that willie would have a much better chance of being uh retained as the head coach if there was anything to point to uh to build for the future or even a sign that he had addressed a need uh, and sam howell would be that I'll even spread it that I'm not sure that even if somebody like a, a Plumley or even maybe I'm losing my mind here, even a Dorian Tom uh, Robinson 
would be uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson would be an a sign of progress as far as a head coach addressing a need and something to build upon for the future or some sense of optimism uh, with being able to look at what your head coach did at the most important position on the field. And otherwise, uh, you're left with zeros. And that's that's a really tough thing to look at. And, yeah, uh, I do think that if Sam Howell was here or maybe one of those other two, uh, that your general observation as to what he had done uh, would be a little bit different. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right there. Um, also, the the lack of uh, belief in you from people, I think, probably contributes as well to the inability uh, to get some recruits who might be a little costly, if you, if you catch my drift uh, there. Certainly, certainly. Because um, those people have to believe in what you're doing. And I think, I think he lost too many important people too early in his tenure, despite the fact this team was – legitimately improved this year. It does have fewer penalties than it did last year. This team would beat last year's team. I'm pretty confident of it. But it's not improved enough, right? Going from like 70th to 50th is really not not enough of a jump. I think preseason, we said, in order to feel the program was moving in the right direction, we would need to see them go at least to like 40th. And I, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to get there, <laughs> Ingram, uh, at, at this point. So, yeah, that was definitely... Uh, definitely a concern. Let me see here. Uh, oh, also, kind of again, overestimating your team, overestimating your school's ability to deliver things. Not cutting bait last year with some national recruits who we knew they were not going to get, but yet they were like, well, the kid's still talking to us. You know, I'm like, yeah, but how do you know that's not just being polite, right? And And we're... Where's your backup plan on this? What what happens if you, you know, if you don't, like, if you don't sign this kid? And a lot of times it would be, well, well, we are. We're Florida State. We're going to get him. Like, look, man, you might be Florida State, but but Georgia's Georgia, you know, and Georgia's not on track to go five and seven. And we, we, we harped on this probably every week after the Syracuse game last year and said, look, you can't lose like that to Syracuse and think that you have a, a great chance of making a bowl. And you can't like think you're going to sign these national elite kids from out of state with a season like this. You need to you need to take a step back. Uh, but maybe part of that is just related to uh, the promises that he made early on that he couldn't fulfill. Oh, what about uh, what about after like after you misjudge your your ability to like kind of mask some of the offensive line issues in 2018? You don't go out and get two college ready bodies for this year. Yeah, the I mean, the offensive line is something that we talked immediately that it would impact his uh, ability to be the head coach and how long uh, the longevity of his tenure here. Not sure we realized it would be as quick uh, as it was at the time. But, yeah, look, you, you uh, with all due respect to the kid uh, that you got at a JUCO, that's pretty much a, a swing and a miss. And uh, Roberts is a, a decent prospect who did uh, – improve what you what you are but not a real uh giant leap forward and uh offensive tackle was the type of position that you knew um you were just going to be throwing out players that had no business playing at florida state players that are literally regarded as the worst at their position uh possibly like within all of uh 
of the 131 teams or the 130 teams that play at the highest level. It's uh, it's just a total inability to address the most glaring need on a roster. Uh, and really, honestly, of all the things that's tied to the events that brought us up to today, uh, this might be number one or number two for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's directly attributable to probably three or four of the losses, right? I mean, if you give this team an average offensive line, will he finish 9-12? and 12? I think that record is at least flipped, if not better. Um, hell, if you give him a below-average offensive line, he's probably still over 500. And then, of course, the last one here would be just the the ULM game, the Wake Forest game, and then the Miami game. Um, I think people would mostly forgive the Virginia game. Virginia's looking like a decent team. They're leading the Coastal right now. You went and you, you fought hard in that game, although you didn't really deserve to win it. Uh, Boise at home was certainly a difficult loss, but those three – ULM, Wake, and Miami, particularly for me, the, the first two, because you you could block those teams, at least in theory, and, and you were not able to get it done. Um, I, I do think that if Kendall Browse is the sole guy for that Wake Forest game, that Florida State has a greater chance to win it. But uh, ultimately, didn't get it done. So 9-21 and 21 without, without enough signs of progress to, to, to expect a leap next year. Fans aren't dummies. They're, they were not going to buy tickets for next year. Not, not, not with that. Uh, as, a, as painful as it is to go through a process like this, bud, and as uncomfortable as it is, uh, we're fortunate to be able to go through it with people like uh, Matt Thompson and the good people at For the Table Restaurant Group. Uh, we've worked with Matt since the first day that we uh, – pressed record on the Nolcast. would encourage you to do the same if you have any kind of catering or event planning uh, coming up in the near future get in touch with matt directly matt at for the table hospitality uh, certainly nobody that uh, bleeds garnet and gold or <laughs> wants to see florida state play at a higher level than uh, matt and his team and we're fortunate to be able to work with them and would encourage you to do so uh, just as we have absolutely had some awesome comments from people who were out of town who stopped in to see Madison Social for the Miami game. Glad to see that they could do it. That is uh, that is awesome. All right, so Ingram, you got another thing on our outline here called commitment to football. Okay, so uh, we're going to address this in the near future. You alluded to it uh, on the Instant Reaction podcast uh, yesterday. Um, so Florida State twice in the last five days has uh, displayed a rather public commitment to play at the highest level or at least a want to play at the highest level. Uh, by announcing that you're going to schedule a home-and-home with Bama, uh, therefore seeing you play LSU, Bama, and Georgia uh, throughout the decade of the 2020s, uh, which is a hell of a booster, a hell of a bolster to a schedule uh, that needed it. And, um, look, you don't make a move like you did today if football is not still priority number one at this university and the play and the want to and expectation to play at the highest level. Uh, is there so uh, good for Florida State to do that if that's what they continue to want to do I would say that uh, obviously you've got to do what you can with the resources that you have but uh, Florida State probably needs to be a little more consistent in um, in pairing that want to play at the highest level uh, throughout the year and uh, maybe that's me taking shots at them maybe that's unnecessary I'm not sure but uh, I, I would ask that the actions of the past five days uh, be more representative in, in the action of the next 365 uh, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, the, you're, you're exactly right about that. They they have to be more consistent with that, and that that is from administration, but also 
you know, largely from a, a fan base. You know, if you want to be competitive on a level with those elite programs, um, you don't have to necessarily donate exactly like them, but you can't be just in a totally different stratosphere. And so that's that's important. Um, go back and listen to that booster episode we did. Was that in the summer? I think it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was somewhere, uh, I think, early August, somewhere in that area. So I don't. we're not really going to do hot board or whatever else tonight, but uh, I think it is worth us kind of speaking from a broader perspective as to kind of what Florida State has to do here uh, with the next hire, the characteristics that they need, uh, both out of the people to fill the position and uh, maybe like a realistic idea that you don't have to – you don't have to kind of thread the needle with the perfect hire here, um, but you do need to make a really competent hire, and you do need to find someone that's going to find footing, find success, and uh, it's okay being a transition hire here, in my opinion, to an extent, um, and somebody that kind of bridges a period of uncertainty um, and a, a transition period, uh, a broader transition period uh, within the university that we've talked about at Donsingham now. I completely agree. So just some thoughts I have on this. I I would be surprised if Florida State hires somebody without head coaching experience. All right. Uh, to me, I think that's something that's going to be really important to them because, like you said, the, the competency is going to be really important. So my guess here, if I had to, like, kind of narrow this down, almost like when, when you're betting the Heisman, you know, you kind of say, okay, like who actually has the talent to win it? who actually plays a position to win it, who has the schedule, you know, maybe to win it, who might have a schedule that could set up a nice narrative. You know, you kind of you kind of do some things where, where you, you check some some boxes and you say, okay, I'm going to cross this guy off, I'm going to cross this guy off, right? Like running backs, unless you play for Bama, don't win the Heisman anymore. Just kind of logical things, like just kind of checks I would go through. So to me, head coach experience, I think is going to be really important. Now, People can say, oh, well, Jimbo didn't have head coach experience and Willie did, but that's a sample set of two as opposed to a sample set of much larger. And if you talk to these guys that work for these consulting firms and these search firms, they're going to tell you that for the most part, uh, coordinators' bust rate is much higher than that of coaches or of of existing head coaches. I also think that because Willie, and and this is just kind of a natural, like, reactive thing that, that, all sports organizations seem to do. If you had a guy who's a player's coach, you're going to you're going to go get a guy who's a hard ass, right? If, if you had a hard ass, you're going to go get a guy who's friendly, who relates to the players. If you had a defensive coach, you're going to go get an offensive coach. If you had an offensive one, you're basically that. Like people try to go get the exact opposite of what they just had for whatever reason. A lot of times that's kind of silly. You should just go get the best coach possible. But I do think because most of Willie's experience came at the G5 level as opposed to the P5 level, I would actually probably narrow this down and say there's a good chance that Florida State's going to get a guy who has multiple years of P5 experience, um, I, I like which honestly would potentially strike somebody like a Mike Norvell, whose you know experience as far as a, as a head coach is at Memphis. Is that a smart move to strike him? I mean, I don't know. I think the, the guy's doing a pretty good job there. At Memphis, these kind of wants, I believe, do limit your pool a little bit and maybe not for the better. Uh, But I think that most of your candidates that you would have are candidates who, in my opinion, would would represent a rather high floor. I think in this coaching search, my question is not going to necessarily be about the floor of the coach 
who you hire, it's going to be more about the ceiling. For instance, like what if you were to go get a Bob Stoops or Mark Richt? And I think some people would probably question putting those two together, but you know they're both older coaches who are out of work, um, who may be looking to get back into the college game. We'll see. Obviously, I think most people who don't have a buyout attached to their name either. Correct. Yeah. I mean, do you think that uh, like the Bob Stoops, Stoops would be a home run hire? I think from a stability perspective, I do. I think it would. I don't know if I'd list it a home run. I would. I would list it at an A minus at the very least. It's something that you could, uh, you know, would speak to the broader college football world that you're fully committed to playing uh, at a high level and you brought in a very capable uh, head coach. It would possibly allow you to pair existing pieces uh, on the coaching staff um, with with what you have pieces that I think right now you deem as assets. Uh, there may be some historical conflict there uh with with stoops and brows but uh we'll see if that was able to be uh be gotten over um and it would allow you to address somebody that you don't have to write a check for uh hey look that's a big deal that's a real big deal i i think just as you suggested we can probably strike people uh that don't have head coaching existence and and p5 head coaching existence at that um Man, when you talk about some of these people that have buyouts of, of nineteen million and twenty three million dollars attached to their name, I don't I don't see how that's a, a conversation. I don't see how you could look at uh if Stoops really has a twenty three point nine million dollar buyout, UK Stoops I'm talking about, twenty three point seven, excuse me. I don't see how I don't see how that's even a possible conversation. Uh Campbell's a guy at uh in the Big Twelve that I like a lot. I I don't know that a nineteen million nineteen point eight million dollar buyout is a, a situation that Florida State could really look at right now. So is that um, what Campbell has? Getting, a nineteen million dollar buyout? That's what uh, was reported today. Yeah, I think that's what the T, TP uh, TDO, excuse me, uh, reported in their piece. Wow, that's that's pretty crazy. And uh, Fleck has a nine point three million dollar buyout, which um, you know that that's a, a much more. <laughs> a re- legitimate conversation in my opinion but it's not like it's not like you're gonna go take a, a big tens coach right now uh minnesota isn't the richest school but minnesota is a school that's not just gonna let you walk in and take somebody that's having the best season that they've had since uh you know freaking black and white television or whatever it is so um i think it's a, a decent filter to put on when you're looking at some of these candidates and there's all kinds of issues there with with fleck too that that i think would uh, would would give a lot of people pause both you know on and off field um so just just very interesting there to be sure i wonder uh i kind of wonder who the fans want i know a lot of people have asked us what about kendall bryles uh i again like he doesn't check enough boxes there you have a guy who you just got rid of when i was talking about kind of the rebound effect right okay we're going to go from the opposite of what we had so I think the things you didn't like about Willie, the internal organization, okay, uh, and in some cases discipline, although his kids did not get in trouble off the field, which and they actually went to class. So those are good things that the previous quote-unquote disciplinarian, you know, they didn't do. Um, does Kendall Bryles to you, does that, uh, th- does he scream discipline and experience and organization? I'm not saying that he's disorganized. I'm not saying that he... Uh, you know, like lacks some of those things, but he definitely lacks experience as a P5 head coach. So 
to me, that would be a, a problem that Florida State would have to find a way uh, to address. And I, I don't think that they uh, that they would allow that to happen. Now, if he could stay on as the OC since he's already under contract for the year, I mean, that would be... Yeah, that, that's the path. If you, if you really think you have something in Kendall Bryles, the, the legitimate path to him being your head coach, which I don't think is necessarily anybody's goal right now, but uh, I do think that they think he's an asset as a coach and they would like to have some continuity if possible. Um, then your your dream world scenario there is that you're able to bring in Bob Stoops. Uh, he gives it another you know run of that lasts maybe three to four to five years or something like that. And there's somewhat of a tutoring slash mentoring slash handing off to a Kinder Bryles as he uh, assumes the role of a head coach in somewhat of a similar manner that you saw with Stoops and, and Lincoln Riley uh, out in Norman. So uh, that, I think, is if, if you really think that Kinder Bryles is a future head coach at Florida State, I think that's the pathway that brings you to, uh, to that series of events. I mean, I, I think that would make a whole lot of sense if you could get Bob Stoops in here. He could also start immediately, you know, and, and get rolling on the recruiting class which would really help you. Uh, look, Gus Malzahn is also somebody who could be a, potentially an option, right? If you recall, uh, Gus ended up, he was going to leave for Arkansas, most people thought, and Auburn was going to let him out of his buyout because they were kind of tired of each other, Auburn and Gus. But then he ended up beating uh, Georgia and beating Alabama in back-to-back weeks. What was that 2017, I think it was? Um, so Auburn ended up extending him at the time, I don't even think they had an AD. Well, I mean, now things are not going great at Arkan- at Auburn. The, the expectations there are always pretty outsized. He has to play a ridiculous schedule every year that, I mean, even elite teams you're going to expect to lose two or three games against. Um, you know, that, that could be another interesting name there if if that relationship is just finally tiresome on both sides. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see about that. Well, we'll uh, we'll do our best to <laughs> to kind of cover this landscape uh, in you know whatever the most appropriate manner and the best that we can. It's uh, kind of hard to believe that uh, that we got here this quickly. Uh, from like I said, from a macro perspective, from a micro perspective, and watching how the last four weeks have played out, uh, not necessarily surprised at all by today's events. So. Um, Bud, man, I really appreciate it. It's been a long day for you. Anybody that listened to the Instant Reaction podcast uh, knows that uh, you know you were <laughs> up late last night and uh, not necessarily at your top. So really appreciate you making the effort to uh, put something like this together and uh, allowing us to try to get our thoughts to our listeners in as quick of a manner as we can. All right, guys. We will see you soon.